0: You are listening to Graceway's weekly message podcast. We hope that this message encourages you to know and enjoy God, find friends, discover your purpose, and make a difference in your community. Enjoy the message. So, there's going to come a day when I am going to draw my last breath and I'm going to stand before God. So are you. Two things are certain you're going to pay taxes, or you're going to go to jail for not paying taxes. Okay, And you're going to die. And you're going to stand before God. But when we stand before God, God's going to ask me a question that he's not going to ask anybody else in this room. And that is, what did you do to take good care of this place called Graceway? That's really what being a pastor is. It's not a parking spot. It's not a, you know, whatever. It's that I get to stand before God and answer for y'all. And it's the honor and a privilege of a lifetime. I'm a very privileged dude. I get to be married to that woman right there. I get to be daddy to, or dad, now that my kids are getting older, right? To Noah, to Emma, and to Isaiah. And, And I get to be the pastor of Graceway. It's more blessing than any one person should get. But I'll tell you, I think a lot about standing before God And what I'm going to say when he says, what'd you do with my church? Because this isn't my church. This is God's church. I didn't buy it. Jesus bought it with his blood. And I'll tell you what I want to be able to say. I want to be able to say, for as long as you let me, to the best of my ability, I taught them to walk with you and love you. That's it. And I'll tell you, a lot of times people just say, I taught them the Bible, or I taught them to pray, or I taught them all those kind of things, and, and all that is wrapped up in it for me. I obviously want to teach you the Bible, I want to teach you to pray, I want to teach you about giving, I want to, blah, 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 blah. I, I really just want to teach you how to walk with God. And this series is really that. This series is called Hearing God, and I really believe, I'm excited about so many things in this year, so many things that we have planned, but I, I wanted to teach you through this I've got a couple of surprises for you, uh, a couple of speakers coming in. It's, I think it's gonna be a game changer for us. But I wanna teach you how to hear from God. We're gonna pray, and I wanna teach you what it feels like, sounds like to hear the voice of God in your life. And I think it's especially important now because we have so many voices. We have so much noise, we have so much going on, and it's difficult to kind of pinpoint the voice of God. And I just wanna say, if you if you can't, Find God, hear God, see God. It's a terrifying place to be. It's a terrifying place to be. And so um, I'm going to teach you this series. I'm not really going to preach you this series. I'll have some moments where I'll come on somebody and all that kind of thing. But I really just want to teach you how to hear from God. Fair enough? Okay, so here's my belief. I believe that our God speaks. I don't think he spoke and then he stopped. I think he speaks Now, from front to back in your Bible, God is a talking God. Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God. Genesis 1-3, two verses later, and God said. God starts talking right away. You get to Revelation 22, and it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride, say, Come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take the water of life without price. At the beginning, God is talking, and literally at the very end, God is talking, and all the way in between, God is talking. God never really stops talking, and the times that he does, it is odd, and it is explained, like the middle of your Bible, between the Old Testament and the New, the intertestamental period, where we say, and then God didn't talk for 400 years. Now, there's a theology that attempts to um, emphasize the superiority and the importance of the Bible that says God spoke and he doesn't speak anymore. And I reject that out of hand because when you read the Bible, you see that God is always talking. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm so grateful that God spoke, but I still need him to be talking. Come on, somebody. I still need him to be talking. So the question that we'll address is, how do we think about hearing God? I'm not going to talk about how to understand what God said. That's a different sermon series. I'm not going to talk about you liking what God says. That's a different sermon series, plural. Are you with me? We need to start and talk about how do you do it? How do you hear from God? So a couple months ago, I was at a Kansas Jayhawks Football game. It was not impressive. <laughs> the reason I paused is if I had said Kansas Jayhawks basketball team, you all could have whooped and it could have been a thing, right? But I went to a football game, and I went with a buddy of mine, just a, a friend for over 20 years. Uh, he's from Florida, so he was <laughs> freezing. Uh, he didn't know to wear gloves and, and thermal underwear. Come on, somebody. This is Missouri, all right? Like, <laughs> and so we were watching this game, and we were just kind of enjoying talking to one another. And there's a couple of times in the conversation where something would happen outside of us. The the sound would go up, right? Typically, Kansas fans groaning and Texas Longhards fans celebrating, uh, if you know the game that I'm talking about. It was, whew! Kansas fans, I'm still praying for you. I'm going to be praying for you during these, fat, these 21 days. It was, it was one of the ugliest football games I have ever seen in my life. I think y'all are a D3 school in football now based on that. Um, anyways, no, no shade. I'm not trying to throw, show, throw shade. Uh, 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 maybe a little bit of shade, just a, a tiny bit of shade. Um, but my point is, uh, because he and I were having this conversation, when the sound would go up, uh, as we were talking, it made it difficult for me to hear him and, and him to hear me. Have you ever had this experience before? You're at a restaurant or a game or a concert and you're talking along and you're enjoying the conversation, and something happens outside of the conversation that impacts your ability to hear what the other person is saying. And you do one of two things at that time, every single time. You either say, hey, hey hang on, hang on a second, and you let the crowd noise die down you go to another location, you let the volume go down so that you can hear one another, or what do you do? You lean in closer and you yell in the person's ear. (laughs) One of two things has to happen in order for that conversation to occur. The volume has to go down, or your nearness to the person has to go up. That's the structure of hearing, no matter what. The volume has to go down, or the proximity has to go up. Now, many of us in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are either open to or actively desirous of hearing from God. You wanna hear from God. You say, the world's a crazy place, I don't know how to do this, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't." if God talks, let him say something to me. We believe that God has something to say, don't we? We've heard from him in the past, we're sincerely interested, But listen, if you want to regularly hear from God, two things have to occur. You have to turn down the volume of your life, or you have to get closer to him so that when he speaks, you can hear him. Here's why. Because God isn't going to change his volume for you. God's gonna talk how God's going to talk. You know this, parents, right? You're trying to say something to your kids, and you're like, boy, don't you make me repeat myself or raise my voice. Now, God doesn't do it with that attitude, but God's going to talk at the volume that he wants to talk. And it's incumbent on us. And this is really the rest of the series. I want you to come. But if you get this firmly implanted in your heart, you will have the thesis and the principle. God is talking. God wants to talk. God isn't going to change his volume. If you want to hear him, you have to turn your volume down or lean into God so that you can hear what he intends to say. Now, the practice of doing both has historically been called a spiritual discipline. Or, something that I prefer a little bit more, a habit of grace. A grace habit. Now, every healthy relationship, I want you to think about this, requires and benefits from disciplines and habits. Or, they suffer from the absence of them. Your marriage does better when you have healthy, good habits and disciplines, your relationships to your kids, your relationship to your boss, your relationship to your friends. All relationships do better when there are certain disciplines and there are certain habits or they struggle and suffer because there are none. Now in the Gospels, we see that Jesus had a habit, several habits around his relationship to the Father. In Mark chapter 1, listen to it. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place. And there he prayed. Luke 5. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6. Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying ...in a certain place. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard what has happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. John 6, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. I could go on and on and on. When you read through the Gospels, at certain times and around certain events, Jesus repeatedly had very particular responses... Very particular responses. Jesus' life, listen, Jesus' life and in turn his ministry was marked by these habits, by these rhythms, and by these disciplines. He appeared to believe that there was a connection between them. That the more vibrant his private relationship to the Father was, the more vibrant his public ministry could be to others. Listen, the more vibrant your relationship to God is the more vibrant everything else will be. Not in in public, not at church. This is just an outworking of that. Your nearness to God, your ability to hear from God, your enjoyment of God, the vibrancy with which you experience God will either show up everywhere else or be exposed everywhere else. I'm gonna be honest with you that over the last Handful of years. I think that we've been exposed. I Think that the church has been exposed because we talk the same as everyone else We freak out the same as everyone else. We believe the same as everyone else as though we don't serve a different God and I think that the intimacy that is born in private that Jesus practiced on the regular is the thing that will result in vibrancy that will result in longevity, that will result in strengthening for us as it did for Jesus. And I'll also say this, if Jesus believed that he needed to do intentional things to have a relationship with the Father, the Son of God believed that he had to do particular and extraordinary things to be able to experience the Father in a particular kind of way, it just might be that we have to do it as well. The Son of God, who spent eternity with the Father, said, I need to leave y'all, go to a place in solitary by myself, and talk to God without any all around. And we try to squeeze God into our calendar. No, no, Jesus made space for God. Okay, now the things that I want to talk to you about over the next really five weeks, I just want to say to you, these are very countercultural. They're very counter-cultural. It's not likely that, that you do them or that you do them all that well or that you do them with any consistency. And so I don't want you to receive any of this as criticism or condemnation. Let's just all say from the beginning that we would love to be nearer to God than we were in 2022. Let's just all say from the beginning, if I could hear God more, feel God, more deeply interact with God... Uh, more significantly, in 2023, that would be a good thing. Raise your hand. Okay, so we're all in the same boat. Okay, I want you to see these practices not as criticisms, but as paths out of dry places. These, this isn't. I can't believe you don't do this. This is. Let me help you not stay here. All right, are you with me? Okay. I'm going to give you. I want to give you this week the things that will help you turn the volume down and next week the things that will help you turn the volume up. Number one, the thing that will help you turn the volume down, ironically, is silence. (laughs) Silence and solitude is something that Christians have practiced for hundreds and hundreds of years. Jesus practiced it and God's people have practiced it for hundreds and hundreds of years. Now one of the costs of technological advancement is the temptation and the ability to avoid quiet. All these things that we have that talk back to us and listen to us, but that's a different sermon, all right? (laughs) And most of us are addicted to noise while at the same time increasingly struggling to listen. I have a lot of noise, but I'm struggling to listen to what is happening. It's a habit for most of us, When we find ourselves bored or having to wait to do what? To reach into our pocket and pull something out that we can look at or that we can listen to. It's a habit when we get home and the house is quiet to turn on the TV with 87 streaming services to pick from. It's a habit to flip on music or a podcast or an audio book in the car when we get in even if we only have to drive a short amount of distance. We don't like to be alone and we don't like for it to be quiet. Whenever we are alone and it feels quiet, we feel exposed and it feels awkward. Now, here's what I need you to understand. The average American is exposed to between four and 10,000 messages a day. You think you live a quiet life, no, no. Everyone in this room has experienced yesterday and will experience today between four and 10,000 messages that somebody is trying to talk to you. And listen, that is double what it was in 2007. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think these huge corporations are going to talk to you more or less in the years to come? Yeah, more. It's just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. But I want you to look at the life of Jesus. He managed the noise in his life. He managed the noise in his life. He managed the voices in his life. He managed the ideas in his life. He managed the trends in his life. But we, even though we know that about Jesus, we let it all in. We let it in unconsidered, unmanaged, as though it has no effect on our mind, on our heart, on our beliefs, and therefore on our relationships and our overall well-being. Now there's two dangers of this. The first danger is that just because you didn't consciously agree with what you let in doesn't mean that it isn't lodged in your subconscious or your soul. You watch something and you think to yourself, oh, I don't agree with that, but you keep listening to it. Oh, I shouldn't be watching that, but you keep watching. Oh, that's not good for me to listen to, but you just kind of passively continue to allow it to come into your mind and you think that just because you don't agree with it, your subconscious knows that you're rejecting it but it is not. And over time, all of those messages and all of those ideas build up. This is the reason that God tells us to guard what we hear, what we see, and what is in our hearts. He compares all of your interaction with messaging as gates, city gates. And he says, there are certain things that you should let in. There are certain things that you should stop at the gate. No, 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 you can't come in. No, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to listen to that. I'm not going to consider that. I'm not going to. I know, I know a couple people that, um, and, and by a couple, I mean a lot of people, that they'll come home and they'll turn on the news and they'll leave the news on while they go around their house as though the information that they're receiving is objective fact. You do know that all of the news agencies, I don't care which one you watch, they are monetizing fear. They're monetizing fear and they're monetizing a person's opinion and you're just going about and you're cleaning your house or doing whatever, but you have somebody indoctrinating you with fear. This is the reason I begged you during COVID to stop watching so much news. It has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with, um, with it has to do with your soul. And, and, and the acknowledgement that you and I let things in on the radio, on the podcast, in the book, on Netflix on the news source, and we don't even think, is this true? Is this good? Is this God's best for me? And we think that just because we don't agree, it doesn't land in our hearts. The second, and I think the more diabolical, and I mean that specifically, is that we lose the ability to tell who is talking. With so much messaging, it's just all noise, and I just want to say this to you. Some of you, because of the lack of silence in your life, you think that God is saying something to you that he would never say. You're upset at God for saying something or for doing something that he didn't say and that he didn't do because you don't know how to pinpoint God's voice from everyone else's. Psalm 46 says, hey, be still. Just stop, stop. And know that I am God. God says there's certain things you can only know about Him in quiet. God's not going to compete with other voices. He's God. God's not going to compete with CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. God's not going to compete with the audiobook. God's not going to compete with Taylor Swift or you know Florida Georgia Line or whoever. you are. God's not going to compete. They're just to say okay, fair enough. You want to listen to them. But we fill our lives with so much noise that when God does want to talk we can't tell if it's Florida Georgia Lion or God and then we feel like God's not talking and I just want to encourage you I love you I want to be a good pastor to you God is talking you got to turn some you got to turn the volume down get still and know that he's God you say I got to go off in the woods no you don't got to go, go off in the woods you just got to get up 20 minutes earlier than everyone else that's it you just got to turn it off in your car. You just got to build some quiet in, turn off the noise, and then identify whose voice is whose. Listen, you, you put some quiet and just, just think. And the thoughts that come into your mind, think about your thoughts, doubt your doubts, focus on your fears, pick the things up that come into your mind and say, who is saying this? And what you will find is that much of the nonsense that you are identifying with has nothing to do with God. He didn't say it. He wouldn't do it. You just need to turn the volume down. Who is saying that? Who are you listening to? What are you believing? And watch, what you believe dictates who you become. You sound like who I am. I'm a completely different person than I was in 2018. I promise you, here's why because you spent 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022 listening to people that you weren't listening to before. That's why. And I, I try to walk with God. I'm not saying you did I'm saying the volume was competing with God's voice. Number two is singing. The spiritual dif- discipline of silence and the spiritual discipline of singing, and right now Pastor Brandon is saying amen somewhere. Our entire lives are to be motivated by worship. You know this. Romans 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we say yes and amen to that. But singing, praise, brings particular focus on and response to God. The Bible mentions singing over 400 times and commands it over 50, which means that singing is a matter of obedience, not preference. Some of y'all were disobedient to God in this worship service. You just sat there and watched everyone else sing. I know you have your reasons. Oh, I don't like to. Oh, I don't sing. Well, I get it. Not the point. Why? Because singing has a powerfully transformative effect. Can I prove it to you real quick? Okay. I'm just going to read through some lines, and you pick up after me. Okay? Are you ready? My Jesus, my Savior, is not like you. Oh, Lord. Shout to the Lord all the year. <laughs> do you know when that song was written? 1996. Okay. <clears throat> let, me, let, me, um, let me do another one for the rest of us. Um, Now, let me welcome everybody to the wild, wild west. (laughs) A state that's untouchable like Elliot Ness. Let me just ask you a question. What church are you going to go to where the pastor references Shout to the Lord and California Love in the sermon? (laughs) You ain't going anywhere. (laughs) Out on bail, fresh out of jail, California. (laughs) Do you know when that song was written? 1995. I was a junior in high school. I'm going to be 45 next week and I can still sing that entire song to you it ain't even my people y'all i'm singing somebody else's songs i know every single word why because that beat (laughs) a lot of us are ingesting a lot of beliefs and theologies because of that beat yeah singing praise has nothing to do with the quality of singing come on and all the normal folks in here said yes and amen to that it's about the way that we interact with the subject of the song now obviously there's a vertical element to that that we need to unplug from our regularly scheduled programming monday through saturday and we need to come in here and we need to plug into the mind the heart and the perspective of god And we start every service, not with me talking, but with why? Because I know that's what you've been getting Monday through Saturday. And have you noticed that it takes us about two and a half songs to get unplugged and plug back in? Something spiritual has to occur. But listen, it's not only vertical, it's also horizontal. Listen to Ephesians chapter five, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Who, who, who is addressing who? When I'm singing, I'm addressing God, but I'm also addressing you. Mark Sayers says, wherever believers gather, the spiritual ground they occupy is sanctified amid the powers of darkness. This means that when we contend, when we cry out to God, when we worship, we carve out sacred space in our rooms, our homes, our streets, our schools, our workplaces, our cities, our nations, our world. How? Singing. By singing. Praise and worship is a pinpoint of light in a dark world. And when we all gather and bring our pinpoint of praise to God and to one another. It creates something that we could not otherwise experience. Now, like all of these spiritual disciplines, this only works when you do it. It doesn't work when you watch Brandon do it. You say, well, I come in, I don't feel anything. That's because you're not doing it. That's because you're observing somebody else do it. Listen, there, there is something that happens in your soul when you unplug from your regular scheduled programming, plug into the Spirit of God, begin to sing praise and truths to God, and then maybe, just maybe, pull your hands out of your pocket and just hold the baby for a minute. Just... I'm not asking you to call a touchdown. Just hold a baby. And instead of of just standing there blankly with your hands out, just let your lips just, this is called, it's not called smiling. It's just called not frowning, okay? Just let your lips just go up just a little bit. It looks awkward when I do it because this isn't my thing, all right? But I'm just asking you, maybe in, Maybe in in 2023, God just wants you to begin to praise, even though it feels awkward. Why? Because it turns down inhibition, it turns down insecurity for the sake of the one you're worshiping. Here's what it is. Worship isn't for you to like, it's for God to like. And some of us, man, we're so uptight, and I need you to listen to the theology of the great theologian Elf who says, I'm in love, I'm, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Yeah. Will Farrell, great theologian. Yeah, I don't do it because I like it, I do it because God likes it. That's what singing is. And so silence and solitude in singing, are y'all still with me? Yeah. Thirdly is stewardship. Matthew 6 and verse 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus says there's only two economies, heavens and earths. They're equally investable, but they're diametrically opposed to one another. Did you know that the word genius and the word generous come from the same Latin root? The word means to beget. Ancients believed that there was a genius to a life that possessed the ability to generate warmth warmth or well-being for others. There was a genius to looking at somebody else and saying, I want to bless them. I want to, I want to, I want to benefit them. I want to give to them. And, and what was the genius? That as you were generating wealth and warmth for them, it generated warmth for you. And so God comes along and he says, here's the deal. There's a spiritual discipline, a habit of grace. Paul talks about generosity being a, being a result of grace, not for something, but because you have something, and, and it's something that we're supposed to do regularly. It's an active habit that you only benefit from when you do it. It's not about whether or not you believe it. It's about when you write it, when you send it, when you give it. Now, Jesus and Paul hit at something deeper than just the blessing of giving. They hit at the acknowledgement that our stuff has a grip on us that is undue and unhelpful. And especially in America, we have so much stuff. Our stuff is our identity, and our identity is our stuff. We believe things about people based on the clothes they wear, the house they live on, and how much money they make. Oh, they must be smart. Oh, they must be educated. Oh, they must be good at their job. Or, they're a drug dealer. <laughs> it's possible. No, no, we look at somebody who has stuff, and we go, oh wow, they must, they're accomplished. Or no, they might be a criminal. It happens. Watch the news, just a little bit. Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So Paul says, here's the discipline, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, On the first day of every week, give as you have been prospered. Why? Because the gravitational pull of your identity and your stuff becoming one thing is too great for you to wait month after month. You need to do it week after week. Every paycheck that comes in, I have this habit of grace. I give God first. First. Not last, not leftovers first. Why? Because God gave it to me and because I know that if I hoard, it becomes who I am. Regular, tangible generosity is the only thing, listen, the only thing that turns down our personal ambition and our over-identification with our stuff. It's the only way to kill it. Not more money, not more jobs, not better business, cars, not once I have this thing, I'll feel differently about. Yeah, for about 38 minutes, you will. The only way to be free of the grip of your stuff on you is to give it. And Jesus says, if you give it, there's a genius to it. It means that you enjoy what you have. You're grateful for what you have, but you're free from what you have. All of these, it's a trade. I trade turning down other voices to hear God in silence. I I, I trade my insecurity and my inhibition to make much of Jesus in my heart. And as I give him praise and humble myself before him, he exalts me. I give away my stuff so I can enjoy what I have but be free of what I have. And the ancients and the Bible say there's a genius to that. But you got to practice it. You got to practice it. Number four is serving. Number four is serving. Philippians. We're going quick. Take good notes. Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. Think about. Other people. This is a crazy idea. Think about what they like. Think about what benefits them. Think about, think about what they need. Think about what they want. Don't think about why they need it. Just benefiting them purely for benefiting them. That's what service is. But here's where it gets really, really, really interesting and powerful. Matthew chapter 6 Jesus is talking, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, (laughs) post no picture on Instagram, As the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised for other. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. That like? You got it. You're good. Congratulations. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving might be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The Bible is so practical and will set you free if you just... Take God at His word. So, so what's the turn down? God's voice is drowned out by our need for validation. I need you to know, I need you to compliment, I need you to believe something about me. And, And what's the problem? As I'm chasing somebody else's validation, I'm losing the voice of God. That's really, that's really the thing that social media has stolen from us. It's this, it's it's the need for validation on steroids. And it's just built into our culture. I'm gonna post this and I just keep looking. How many people like, how many people like, how many people comment, how many, people uh, uh. And God's like, I validate you. I see you, I love you. I say you're valuable. I say you're worthy. But you've let all of these other voices be so loud and we even do it in serving. I'm gonna go sign up for Dream Team. (laughs) I'm going to Growth Track and then I'll go to Dream Team. And serve. Can I? Can I just be honest with you? I would. Ministry doesn't happen from me at Graceway. Ministry happens from you. My job's to equip ministry in you, Ephesians chapter four. But a lot of churches, man, they're begging. They're begging Christians to do what God commands them to do. And and we we beg and then we affirm. Oh, thank you, thank you. Wouldn't it be incredible if? if all of these ministries just happened and nobody really knew who did them. Just people's needs are being met, people are being blessed, people are being served, people are being prayed for. And of course, yeah, we need a little bit of systems, but I don't really know who did them, it just got done. And instead of looking at people and say they're an incredible whatever, we look at God and say, wow, isn't it incredible that God gave us the church that does all these things in humble service. But listen, it doesn't work unless you do it. There's no blessing unless, unless you do it. And so so maybe, maybe over 21 days we should practice. Just just take your neighbors' trash cans back up to their house without them knowing who it is. Yeah. Just pay for the person three cars behind you in Starbucks and say, Don't don't tell them who it is. Don't don't pay for the person behind because then they'll know who it is. Yeah. Ruins it. Send person a, a, a gift card anonymously. And just begin to strip that need for validation out of your heart. And what will happen is you'll begin to hear the voice of God. You'll begin to hear the voice of God. Almost done. Number five, Sabbath. Sabbath. I'm trying, sis, but I got a time (laughs) clock. All right? (laughs) Singing, silence, (laughs) stewardship, serving, and Sabbath. Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath and keep it. Holy in the Ten Commandments. Matthew 11 says this. I love this verse. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Are you tired? Are you struggling? Are you frazzled? Jesus says, Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, watch. He doesn't say, I don't have a yoke and I don't have a burden. Jesus is saying there is a work and a way of working that is actually life-giving. Jesus is saying that there, there is a load that is light under a certain structure and a certain lifestyle. It's not that you don't have to do it anymore. It's that it doesn't feel as heavy as it used to. And so what does Sabbath do? It turns down our drive for achievement that dictates the pace of our life. We stop once a week and we rest and we remember. Sabbath then becomes an identity maker. This is how it was in the Old Testament. Israel's ritual Sabbath was to remind them that they were once slaves defined by their production in egypt but now they were free defined by their rescuer yahweh this is the thing that we need to be reminded of and ezra said that the failure to observe sabbath was the reason the violation of sabbath was the reason that israel had been brought to disaster now this is an interesting thing right That God says, if you don't rest once a week, you will forget who you are. And I will have to bring disaster to you to remind you that you had a rescuer and that you need a rescuer. 2022 has been a terrible year. Did you take Sabbath? No, man, I was busy. Okay. I gotta work so hard. Are you giving? No, man, I got bills. Okay. Have you had any quiet time? Quiet time, man, I got kids. Okay, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sabbath is supposed to be an identifier for Christians. We practice it as a discipline to honor and admit our human limits to find identity in our creator, and to remember truths that we easily forget. So these practices, silence, stewardship, Sabbath, serving, singing, these are things that Christians have done for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, and found abundance in the practice, found abundance in the journey, but here's the last one, and we'll be done, starving. Starving. In the Bible, it's called fasting. And in Matthew chapter six, it says, Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast, fast this way. Lots of Christians I know, not a lot of power in their lives because the volume is so high of other voices, of the need for validation, of their stuff, of their insecurities, and of the stuff in the fridge. Just always talking, always calling. you're having a bad day, come over here and have me. Eat and drink and forget that you're struggling. Some of us, instead of going to the altar, we go to the freezer. And we eat our stress. We eat our stress. Job says, I have... Not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his, that being God's mouth, more than my portion of food. So watch. I turn down the volume on my physical need. I starve. Let's just call it what it is. It's not fasting. Starving. (laughs) That's what you're going to say if you do this. I'm starving. I starve my physical need. Why? So I can feed my spiritual need. And in many ways, you can't have both because you've been been trying to deal with your spiritual needs with food. And so you have to turn down that God in your life and stop serving him or her and say, God, I need you to talk louder. Paul says your outer self is withering away. Your inner self is to be renewed day by day. Most of us, it's the opposite. Most of us, our outer self is being renewed day by day, and our inner self is withering away. Paul says, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control. I tell my body what to do. I do not negotiate with terrorists. (laughs) And that Pop-Tart in the morning. I don't negotiate. I ain't eating you. Listen, fasting isn't a diet. Fasting is to change your definition of a feast. You can't change your definition of a feast and continue to feast on what you get at the grocery store. You have to feast on what only God can give you and find it more satiating than the cake that you ate last night. To take the time that I would have spent feeding my body and use it to feed my spirit. And so what is a fast? It's to stop consuming so that I can experience God. And so instead of eating lunch, I pray, I read, I take a walk, I meet God in it. It's not, I'm not eating, God is happy. No, 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 it's a replace. Okay. So these 21 days are 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's what we're doing as a church. We're taking something out and we're replacing that time and that experience with something of God. But my request of you is in these 21 days to add something else. Fast, pray, and take something of the six that I've given you and experiment with it. The thing that you know, whoo, that's loud in my life, turn it down over the next three weeks and see if you aren't able to hear God more. So much, please listen to me. I love you, I wanna be a good pastor to you. So much of your renewal, So much of your strength, so much of the reclamation of what has been lost, so much of your clarity, so much of your longevity is tied to this. Your intent to hear from God who promises to speak and lead you as a good shepherd. Your desire to say, I'll turn everything down if you're talking, God. I can't think of anything more important about you than this. And my request is that as a church, we say, God, in the next 21 days, we're gonna turn off everything, and we're gonna make much of you. Not in belief, nobody cares about that. In practice. And God, would you speak? And God, would you move? And God, would you heal? And God, would you reclaim? And God, would you strengthen? And God, would you give new vision? and new hope, and new mercy, and new desire. And I believe that God will always say yes to that, don't you? Let's pray. God, I love you today. And God, our desire is to hear from you. But you say to us, I'm not going to change the volume of how I speak. There are some things you're going to have to turn down. And so God, in the most practical way, my intent has been to teach some things that I believe in this culture we need to turn down, that I need to turn down. But God, I pray that you'll just keep the enemy away. This is not a a loss or a give something up. This is a turn something down for turning something up that is far greater, far more fulfilling, far more sustaining, far more renewing than any of those things could ever be, as good as they are in and of themselves. Lord, we want you and your voice and your heart for us. And so we pray that you'll be easy to find in these next three weeks that you'll speak and that you'll move and that you'll act as only you can because there's no other God but you. We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said Amen. amen and amen.